At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast with Tim Benz, presented by Bet Rivers. The newly rebooted USFL has some things going for it. It's got a few major hurdles to overcome if it wants to buck the trend of failure that other startup professional football leagues have endured, including the 1980s predecessor with the same name. A good place to start might be never putting the Pittsburgh Maulers on primetime ever again. It's a good thing the Maulers haven't risen to the level of importance yet where people in Pittsburgh actually care about the results. Woof. You thought the post-game shows were brutal after the Steelers tied the Lions last season. Imagine if that many people in Pittsburgh cared about the results after Maulers versus Tampa Bay Bandits on Monday night. The loss to Todd Haley's Tampa team 17-3 in the Maulers debut. Yikes. I don't think Coach Kirby Wilson and company want me starting up my airing of grievances columns after their games just yet. In the wake of what I saw Monday night, I might still be writing. I'm Tim Benz. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast. We're brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the app today or go to BetRivers.com. Hey, I'm 1-0 on USFL bets. I ended up taking Tampa to cover against the Maulers last night, and they did 17-3. The line was minus 5.5. I didn't play the under, but if I took a side there, I would have taken the under, and it would have hit. Goofing around yesterday here in the podcast, I said that we should just Throw the money down to the Maulers for fun, but when push came to shove, I took Tampa because I've actually heard of their quarterback, Jordan Tayamu, and I could guess that Todd Haley is a better head coach than Kirby Wilson. Plus, to the best of my recollection, Haley has never cut anyone for eating pizza instead of chicken salad before, near as I can tell. And it was good because my hockey betting night was a nightmare. The Avs-Washington game didn't come close to going over at only 3-2 to two caps. 
and my parlay was a bust because the Knights lost to New Jersey. Favorites are winning at any price right now in the NHL, so the sports books have had to go bigger and bigger with their odds. The Maple Leafs are in the minus 550 range against the Flyers tonight, and the Lightning are more than minus 500 against the Red Wings. There are several under minus 200 or higher favorites as well for Tuesday night action. Favorites went 20-0 from Saturday till Sunday. Two favorites of minus 301 on Monday until eventually the Golden Knights ended the streak with a loss to the Devils. And that was the one that busted my parlay, as I pointed out before. So if you want some underdogs tonight on the NHL side, how about the Islanders at plus 165 to finally stop the Panthers' 10-game win streak? they got to lose sometime, right? Or the Senators at plus 200 in Vancouver after the Canucks beat the Stars last night? Just a few to consider. Maybe the under at minus 125 and the Panthers-Isles game at 6.5. Those are some ideas. Baseball-wise, Pirates are plus 215 to win with JT Brubaker against Corbin Burns. I'll go the other way with Milwaukee at minus 122 on the run line. Minus 1.5 run line. They dropped the over-under to 7.5 today. It wouldn't have mattered last night. Still at under 8.5. It came in at 7. I told you to play the under last night. The Brewers have not been scoring great. The Pirates surely are the cure for what ails. And I'm leaning towards the over tonight. It's cheap to buy at minus 105, nearly an even money split. The under is at minus 114. That's a tough read. The best play on the board, I think, is A's at plus 150 to win on the run line at minus 1.5. Anytime I can bet that kind of payout to just beat the Orioles by two runs, I'm in. Same thing for the Padres and Reds right now with the way the Reds are playing at plus 107 for minus one and a half on the run line. The greater point is I did watch at least for the first week of the USFL. And if your league can pry me away from other top-notch viewing like Pirates Brewers and the National Corgi races on ESPN2, you might be on to something. For the record, I made money on that final. I had Angus to show. I should have bet him to win. You know what they say, you bet big on the National Corgi races or just go home. But at least after the first weekend, it appears that the USFL is off to a good start. As Frank Schwab of Yahoo.com pointed out via TVRatingsGuide.com, the USFL's first game on Saturday night ranked in the 2.95 million range for viewers. The New Jersey Generals and the Birmingham Stallions game was simulcast on NBC and Fox. It drew 1.43 million sets of eyeballs there and 1.52 million on NBC. Schwab said that's a big day for the new league, especially going up against the first weekend of the NBA playoffs. That's true. He added that those total viewer numbers are commensurate to the opening weekends for the reboot of the XFL in 2020 and the Alliance of American Football in 2019. To that point, Schwab found a tweet from Fox executive Michael Mulville, which compared those stats to other sporting events on Easter weekend. Major market overnight ratings for Saturday the 16th, Nuggets, Warriors a 2.8, Raptors, Sixers a 2.1, T-Wolves and Grizzlies a 1.9, then the USFL game at 1.7. That was ahead of the likes of Jazz Mavericks at 1.4, PGA at 1-2, UFC at 0.7, NASCAR trucks 0.6, and yes, the NHL at 0.5. The issue that other startup spring leagues have found is that 
after curiosity moves people to check in for the first week or two, people lose interest quickly. And this year, oh, by the way, the NFL draft intersects during week three. This edition of the USFL does have a few things going for it, namely $150 million from Fox, which will be poured into league operations over three years. The nostalgia factor of the old USFL team names and sharp uniforms, that sure helps. Plus, people love to gamble, as we all know, and we talk about in this podcast all the time. And with the proliferation of legalized online and in-game gambling, this edition of the USFL will have a built-in advantage that no other rival league has had. The business plan is smart, too. Having all the teams play in one location, a non-COVID-related voluntary bubble in Birmingham, that'll keep costs down by limiting travel for the teams and for the broadcasts. If the USFL hits big, maybe that'll encourage the home cities of the teams to actually adopt them once the league decides to branch out of the bubble. But for as much as that strategy might be a reason why the league can survive, it'll also create the USFL's biggest challenges. For instance, beyond a handful of people who might still have a micro jersey in their closet, any connection between Pittsburgh and these Maulers is as generic as if the team was named the Birmingham Maulers. The same could be said for the Michigan Panthers, the New Orleans Breakers, the Philadelphia Blobs. Oh, wait, the Philadelphia team name still is the Stars. Their mascot is just named Blob. Yeah, that's true. Blob, that's his name in Philly, and he is just a Blob. That seems to fit, doesn't it? But I digress. The point is, if the league ever does relocate to home cities, right now the Maulers are just as likely to be the renewed Denver Gold or Oakland Invaders as they are the Pittsburgh Maulers. If they can't find a place to play in western Pennsylvania and suitable lease or business arrangements, well, maybe they just play elsewhere whenever the USFL comes north. More immediately, though, the biggest albatross for the USFL is encountering this lack of fans problem in the stands. Not necessarily from a ticket revenue standpoint. I'm sure they were expecting minimal sales at best for any game that doesn't involve the hometown Birmingham Stallions. But the issue is how the nearly empty building looks and sounds on television. Why is anyone from Birmingham going to turn out to watch Pittsburgh versus Tampa USFL football, even if tickets are only going for 10 bucks? As a result, the games look unimportant and sound empty and boring. At least if they were being played in home cities, a few hundred, maybe a few thousand people would be in the stands to add a little atmosphere like the old Arena League. Credit the Fox crew for putting microphones on just about everyone imaginable and everywhere imaginable in the stadium. That helped. But when it is still so quiet that viewers can literally hear the whir of the on-field camera drone, there's only so much that can be done. And the long stretches where the broadcasters didn't talk and just let the on-field chatter take over, they backfired. It just sounded chaotic and disjointed and without context. But hey, what else are you going to watch? The Pirates aren't going to stay 500 forever. The Penguins' playoff season may not last all that long. And the Corgi racing season is almost over. We need options in Pittsburgh. So let's go Maulers. In the name of Glenn Carano, let's get it together for week two, huh? When we come back, we'll talk Penguins with Brian Metzer of the Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network. How Tristan Jari's injury is affecting my outlook on the team. We discuss that next here in the Pittsburgh CityCast, brought to you by Bet Rivers. 
BetRivers Sportsbook is offering new customers a deposit match up to $250 when you sign up today. In addition to their welcome bonus, BetRivers has daily and ongoing promotions that can provide extra value. Download the BetRivers app or go to BetRivers.com today to sign up. Presented by Rivers Casino Pittsburgh, must be 21, gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Back to the Pittsburgh CityCast, the futures line for the Penguins at plus 2,100, slowly starting to creep out and open. Uh, I'm not surprised at that. I am surprised it's still holding at just 2,100. I definitely have them behind the Bruins and the Capitals, just as a for instance. When the playoffs do start, I would expect them to be the longest odds on the board in the East, even if they're not the eighth seed, maybe in the entire NHL. Uh, to that end, let's get to the injury of Tristan Jari and how that's changing my outlook on the Pens. By the way, Avalanche at plus 325 to win it all. Panthers with a 10-game win streak still at plus 550. I would think that that gap is going to close uh, the more that the Panthers keep their streak alive. But like I said, maybe the Islanders upset them tonight, and that comes to a close. The Blues with their, what is it, eight-game win streak now, uh, plus 900. They've crept into fourth in the Western Conference, and they're gaining some momentum in the East. The Panthers plus 225 to win the East. The injury issues, the Carolina Hurricanes have them at plus 425, narrowly in front of the Lightning and the Maple Leafs. And this is, I think, about as much distance as we've seen between a first-place team and whoever's perceived to be second on the odds board for the Eastern Conference in quite some time. The Panthers sure are earning that until you think about the goalie situation in Florida and how it relates to the playoffs, which we'll get to in a second. But for months, my opinion on the state of the Pittsburgh Penguins has remained constant. Given how clear-cut the postseason hierarchy has been in the East, it's been easy to draw conclusions as to which teams would make the playoffs and which teams would be left out of the mix. The only question has been the order of finish in the Atlantic and the Metro, thus determining the first-round matchups. For much of the season... Even those debates were hard to gin up, given how closely balanced the talent differential appeared to be and how tightly packed the standings were among the top eight teams in the conference. From roughly New Year's Day until the end of March, that's how things have appeared to be in the East, and from my point of view, whoever the Penguins drew in the first round didn't make a difference. All the other seven teams were very good, even though many had questions in goal. Most of the rosters had a mixed bag when it came to playoff experience, Aside from the Lightning, most of the franchises have had a recent track record of good regular seasons mixed with frustrating playoff results. Not to mention, home ice advantage of the playoffs is often overrated, specifically for the Penguins. Only the Washington Capitals have fewer road losses in regulation. Actually, them and the Panthers, I should point that out. Washington has eight regulation road losses. Panthers have nine, then it's the Penguins with 11. So being a lower seed was hardly a worrisome outcome, especially with the Rangers as the number two team in the Metro and the Penguins for so long being number three, neck and neck with New York the entire season. Now there's a little space between those two teams and a little bit of a cut between them and Carolina on top and Washington and Pittsburgh underneath. But given the Penguins' recent struggles, losers of nine in their last 13, and the recent injury to goaltender Tristan Jari, my opinion is starting to change. The seemingly endless surge of the Panthers is coming into the equation, too. After Monday night's results, the Penguins, 97 points, now have just a one-point lead on the Washington Capitals for third place in the Metro. 
That point total is also tied with the Boston Bruins for what would become the top wild card spot in the conference. But the Bruins already have more wins, 46 than the Penguins, 43 with two additional games left to play. So if the Pens finish in the conference as the bottom team of the playoffs, in other words, eighth overall in the conference, second in the wild card standings, they will have to flip over to the Atlantic then, if that's the case, and face the Panthers in the first round of the playoffs. And that's an unenviable position, given that Florida's won 10 games in a row and has the highest scoring average per game in the NHL right now at 4.19 goals per contest. They're the only franchise in the league averaging more than four goals per game. Now, granted, Sergei Bobrovsky doesn't have a great postseason track record, 324 goals against, 899 save percentage, 13-23 and 23 overall, especially against the Penguins, he hasn't been good. He's had issues against them in 2012 with the Flyers, 14-17 and 17 with Columbus. But even if he should struggle against Pittsburgh again, they've got Spencer Knight, who's won all five of his decisions in April and has a 175 goals against average in that time with a 939 save percentage. Suddenly, even facing the Metro-leading Hurricanes as the seventh seed may feel less daunting than a best-of-seven against Florida. The Canes have split their last 10 games and are dealing with injuries to goalie Frederick Anderson, Captain Jordan Stahl, and forward Jesperi Kokaniemi. Similarly, the Penguins may even prefer that long-anticipated battle against the Rangers and goalie Igor Shosturkin in the first round rather than facing Florida's high-powered offense with backup goalie Casey DeSmith in the crease. That's despite the fact that the Rangers won the last three matchups in the regular season against the Pens this year. Fortunately for the Penguins, They still have five regular season games remaining to steady the ship and formulate a game plan to best insulate Casey DeSmith, and they have a rare stretch of practice time to do it. The team hasn't played since a loss to Boston on Saturday. They don't play again until a rematch of the Bruins on Thursday at home. So for head coach Mike Sullivan, that's a good thing because his team has had to slog through seven games in 12 days. Now, whatever that playoff position is, second through fourth in the division, fourth through eighth in the conference, it's unclear. It's been unclear for quite some time, but now for the Penguins, beyond momentum and honing the nuances of their game, trying to finish with a strong push to stay up as high as possible in the standings, that appears to be all the more important and practical than it did just a week ago when Tristan Jari was perceived to be healthy even though he was a big question going into the playoffs based on what happened last year against the Islanders anyway. So we'll talk about all those topics now. Brian Metzer, the Pittsburgh Penguins radio networker, joins us once a week here on the Pittsburgh CityCast. There's nothing regular about the schedule. Who am I kidding? So why not have five days days off in April, right? (laughs) Hey, I'm not complaining, even though I'm anxious to kind of get to the next level here in terms of the, the postseason. It's nice to get these couple of days off to recharge a little bit, Tim. But to your point, we're usually long since done with the regular season by now. We're probably halfway through a first round. And here we are with still, what, at, at the time of our conversation, five more games on the schedule for the Penguins. So it's kind of a, a unique schedule, nothing normal about it. We had an Olympic break that was canceled. We had COVID reschedules, all these other things that have popped up that has made this season feel like it was about 15 months long. Precisely. And now we've got the lull in action to examine further the goalie situation with Casey DeSmith and Tristan Jari. And Mets, I don't know what to make of that insofar as if 
you go back in time and listen to Penguins fans say, you know, at the start of the season when the Penguins were playing pretty well and Jari got off to a good start, it was constantly, hey, Jari's playing well. Yeah, but we don't know how he's going to be in the playoffs. It's like everybody was seeing this big red stop sign for for the playoffs because of Tristan Jari. Now we're worried that he's gone and we don't think Casey DeSmith is going to be good enough when so many people were saying, boy, wasn't it a shame that Casey DeSmith wasn't available for the <laughs> Islanders series last year? You're right. Uh, it's kind of funny to see how you know life comes at you fast, right, in these moments. The guy that everyone was calling for not being available last year is now the heir apparent and is going to have to lead the charge into the playoffs for the Penguins. So when you see this goaltending situation, I still look at it as one in which they may have been benefited by picking up somebody i don't know who uh maybe scott wedgwood who is suddenly winning games like crazy for the dallas stars in their quest to try and get themselves into the playoffs they got him out of new jersey and he's been very good for them so maybe something like that could have been had for pretty cheap now all of that said i think casey DeSmith has played pretty decent hockey as of late if you look at his numbers during this terrible stretch for the penguins where Tristan Jari and the team has struggled, DeSmith has been one of the bright spots. I mean, he has found a way to go 2-1-2 and two since uh, the team has only four wins in their last, what, 11 or 13 games or whatever it is. He went 2-1-2 and two over that span, 9-17 save percentage, 2-6-4 goals against. And so I feel like that's not bad. You could build on that. But he's not had the experience in the playoffs either. So he's kind of a, a greenhorn going into the playoffs behind a team that's playing their worst hockey of the season. And if he then crashes and burns in some way, do you turn to Louis Domingue, who has all of one start as a Pittsburgh Penguin and has been recalled since the Jari injury? I, I, I have some concerns there. Now, I've seen crazier things happen. Both of these guys could find a way to give them hope and get them maybe through one round of the playoffs, at which point maybe Tristan Jari rides in and healthy and take some of the pressure off of him too because he doesn't have to be in game one to start the playoffs and then you have another tandem in penguins history making some magic happen but it is not a good spot to be in with their goaltending at this point i guess you're right about wedgwood mets insofar as um he makes less than to smith <laughs> hey when i've heard people talk about the penguins cap situation being a reason why you couldn't call up drew o'connor who is essentially on a rookie-level, entry-level deal, that would have probably benefited them. Maybe it was Drew O'Connor getting a call-up instead of I a couple it was, of these wait, other guys. I thought it was his lung. I thought that's why he wasn't being called up. Well, the lung is certainly in play, uh, but he has been healthy from that. And I think you and I talked about this last week, and I was going to dig a little deeper into it, and that's probably what I forgot to mention is I dug a little deeper into it, Tim. And so it sounds like two things are at play here. Number one, cap, which how are you bringing up other rookies then, which at this point we're not seeing any recalls except for emergency recalls because they're really up against it since the trade deadline. But that said, they've had another recall with Philip Hallander coming up not too long ago. And the other part of this, though, is Drew O'Connor is apparently playing as as if he's the best player on the Wilkes-Barre-Scranton roster. And organizationally speaking, there is some whispers that they actually they're, they're on the cusp of making a playoff spot and they want to get them into the playoffs. And even if you recall them at that point, fine, but they want some of their young players down there on the farm to get that playoff experience. And Drew O'Connor is kind of a big key cog in terms of making that happen. So there was the collapsed lung to consider. 
there's cap constraints, and then there's the fact that he is the best player on the Wilkes-Barre Scranton roster. So it gives us hope for him being a black ace and actually maybe jumping into the lineup then and replacing a underperforming forward at that point in time. Gee, who among those could you pick? <laughs> well, the list is getting longer by the day. No, no, no. I think one of those guys is slowly taking himself off the list, and that's Danton Heinen. He's heated up. He's got goals in three straight games all of a sudden, as he did to start this season. So maybe he gets to stay in the conversation for now. But we still have a whole lot of conversation about guys like Evan Rodriguez and Kasperi Kapanen. And if they don't do the job, maybe someone such as a Drew O'Connor can come in and bring that speed, bring the skill that he has. And he's not a small guy. I mean, he's decent size. So he might be able to bring something to the bottom six that those two guys certainly are not bringing at this point in time. Again, Brian Metzer with us, Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network. Talking about the latest state of the Penguins. We get set for a game against the Boston Bruins on Thursday after the loss against the Bruins on Saturday. A game in which Casey DeSmith gave up two early goals, then shut the door and made 27 consecutive saves. What you make of the goals he gave up, and how do we apply that sort of thinking as it relates to the playoffs with him? Well, I, I think everybody kind of coalesced for a terrible start to that game. Um, they didn't do him any favors, put it that way. Uh, we had John Marino missing an assignment on Trent Frederick. Uh, on the first goal that he scored. Then he kind of got himself out of position a little bit to allow Eric Halla to just throw a puck into the crease and deflect it off of Marcus Pedersen and into the net. Now, the bigger issue for me is what's going to happen between Pedersen and Mark Friedman because those two guys continue to leapfrog one another on the lineup, and uh, I don't know that either of them look like a long-term answer for the playoffs, and I hope that that changes here over the next two weeks. But that said, I thought Casey DeSmith, after those two goals, in which he probably left a couple fingerprints on them, but it was more a matter of how it was played in front of him, gave us reason for hope the way that he finished the game out. He did a spectacular job, specifically in the second period, Tim, where the Bruins just really carried play and, and put a ton of shots up on him. He did a nice job there, and then he gave his team a chance to claw back into it. Unfortunately, they left three power play opportunities on the table, which I know my partner on the Penguins postgame show, Paul Steigerwald, credited those power plays for the loss more than the opening moments. I could not blame it on the extra man uh, unit whenever you're down 2 nothing, two minutes into a hockey game. That's no way to go about your business in a Stanley Cup playoff game. So for me, that was the culprit. And yes, the, the power play lets you down. But that said, if you don't play so terribly to start the game again, like we've seen so many times this season where they're just not ready to play at the drop of the puck, you're not even in that situation. So for me, their issues are more a matter of getting their heads in the right place, being more buttoned up after big events in games. So if you score a goal, don't allow one immediately. If a period's yeah. just beginning, you can't allow a goal immediately. If you get a goal waved off from the other team, you can't, a goal, you can't allow a goal immediately. We've seen it far too often, and this was, again, a time just two minutes in, you're down 2 nothing against a team that is stingy as can be against you. Mets, are we being too presumptive when it comes to the availability of Jari in the playoffs by going right to DeSmith, or are you hearing for sure it is DeSmith? When they say week to week, I mean... I guess we can be literal about that and hold out hope that Jari can be back, right? Or are you hearing it's something more significant than that? Uh, my only concern here is when we look at the situation, it's a lower body injury that they've been kind of tight to the vest with. They looked 
a little white in the face when they were first talking about it, when Mike Sullivan delivered the news about him not being available. He didn't seem – not that you can read too much into body language or anything, but I think it's kind of like the Jason Zucker thing, Tim. After that Minnesota game, we looked at that, and everybody kind of had a more cheery demeanor, if you will, after it looked so terrible on the ice. They came into this – kind of looking like they had seen a ghost. And I think they were afraid, thinking that this could be significant. Then the story breaks in the city that, um, you know, it might be a broken bone in his foot. So I don't know how significant that could be. If it's just something minor, maybe it's something he can play through. But the fact that he's not out there now tells me they at least want him to try and nurse it back to health enough to potentially be available. But they call it week to week. Louis Domingue had the very same kind of thing happen. He took a puck off of his skate in practice after that good start that he had back in January. At that point, they called him week to week, and he ended up missing from the end of January all the way till about the end of March. It was about a six-week window. If that is the case with Tristan Jari here, Tim, being week to week with a broken something in his foot, and he's out that long, he's looking at the end of May, maybe around May 28th before he's able to get back. That tells you he's going to be unavailable, and this is all speculation. I don't want to say it's etched in stone, But when you hear the kind of things we're hearing, that could be second end of the second round almost before he's available to play. So you've got a lot of heavy lifting that needs to be done by two goaltenders with not a lot of playoff experience. Not that Jari has that over them. Mets, what did you see in the matchup against Boston that you hope they avoid doing in the rematch at PPG Paints Arena? Well, the game itself had a playoff feel to it once they just got into it and were playing and I thought the Penguins did a decent job of maybe limiting some opportunities throughout the game, even though the one period wasn't very good for them. And they were but being pretty heavily outshot at the start of the third, even where they were trying to claw back into it. I think at one point it was nine to one or 10 to two, something like that in terms of shots on goal as of around the seven or eight minute mark. So all of those things I didn't really like, but as I say that, as long as you're not doing terrible things in terms of mental errors and making a lot of mistakes, you can weather that kind of storm. You can recall a time against the Nashville Predators in the Stanley Cup championship where, uh, or in the Stanley Cup final, I mean, where the Penguins went, what, close to 20-plus minutes without, a, without picking up a shot, and then they come out and win that hockey game on home ice. So they, they have a history of doing that kind of thing. Now, that said, this Boston game was more a matter of, again, some bad habits are on display but once they kind of shut that down after that beginning segment, they, they look decent to me. So I'm really curious to see how they play against them on Thursday night on home ice with the final change and all of that kind of thing. And if they can show us a little something in that game against a team like the Bruins who are built for the playoffs, they have a number of different guys that can put the puck in the net. They defend very well. And Swayman, if he plays again, is a very stout goaltender. If they can find a way to win that hockey game, I'll have a lot more hope than I did after this game on Saturday where – they just unceremoniously went into the night again, two to one. Previously, I had been of the opinion that it really didn't matter who they played in the first round because they're going to be the underdog. The East was so tightly packed. That had been my stance, I feel like, for about two and a half, three months. Uh, now when I see what Florida is doing, I look and I see the likely possible matchups that they could have in the first round, and I say, you know what, they've got a better chance of pulling off a miracle against Carolina or the Rangers. I just think the Panthers are a machine right now. And if they go, if they get to eighth and have to play the Panthers, I mean, that might be yeah. over in three. 
<laughs> I I hear you there, Tim. I mean, they're they're scoring at a prolific rate. The Panthers are still, I believe, the only team that have broken 300 goals on the season, and they have just they're averaging over four goals a game essentially. So they are going to make anybody's life very difficult. Now, I will just share this little tidbit, and I'm sure you thought this in the back of your mind as well, but the old 2-9er keeps talking about it. The Penguins going up against the Panthers, if that were to come to pass, might be the worst nightmare for Sergei Bobrovsky because if he is the guy, yes, they have um, Spencer Knight waiting in the wings. He does not have a good playoff history against the Penguins, specifically one Jake Gensel. Jake Gensel, who scored... I would say, what, 60% of his goals on the road this year, and this is a guy closing in on 40. Maybe I'm a little overboard in terms of saying that. It's more like 55 or so. But still, most of his goals come on the road. They'd start on the road against the Panthers. And if you if, can you imagine them winning game one in Florida where Jake Gensel has a big night against Sergei Bobrovsky and the people would start to panic down there? That's still a team that doesn't have a lot of playoff success. Now, all of that Do said, they care enough to panic? <laughs> probably not i mean like no. honestly isn't that a good place if you're like bobrovsky to play because there wouldn't be panic like they wouldn't notice they're just concerned about how two is going to be able to get the ball deep to tyree kill aren't they yeah i would think that's the case and boy, those red seats down there might start to to freak out a little bit but all of that said i i think you're right i mean no matter who they play it's going to be a terrible matchup based on what we've seen recently so we, we have to look at the Penguins as a team that at one point caught a little bit of lightning in a bottle this season, were really, really good for you know about a six-week span, and then it slipped away a little. There is always the chance that they heat up again like that if they get healthy. I'm worried about their goaltending no matter who they go up against. But all these teams have a couple question marks. They've either not had experience in the playoffs, or they have some goaltending issues, or they still have a couple warts in their game. Florida's other issue to me, Tim, is that they have fallen behind in hockey games and have had to rely on on climbing back into games to win them. So that's a lot harder to do in the playoffs. So I think that there is a little bit more this season in terms of that being a whole second season than there is in other years, based on the fact that all these teams are so darn good in the East that I'm not sure quite what to anticipate. And the shame of it is, we're going to have, what, four really good teams go home right off the hop before anything's really even said and done. All right, so my thanks to Mets, who will join us next week. Still to come here on the CityCast during the course of the week, Mike Pursuta will join us. We'll talk about all things football, hockey, and baseball with him. Going to get into some draft odds with Mike as well. I know he loves those, so we'll have that coming up for you on the next Pittsburgh CityCast, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the app today or go to BetRivers.com.